Welcome to episode 161 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, joined by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? Not too bad. I, I was tested for COVID last week because of my job, and I was a negative, thank God. But uh, let me tell you, people, getting tested, at least at this point in the, in the, the uh, sta- state of uh, testing, is not fun. It was not fun. I can tell you that uh, it was uh, very, very uh, painful. It was if you like things shoved in your nose, then that's the test you want to take. So uh, if you don't like it, don't get sick and don't, you know, unless you actually have the symptoms. So stay away. (laughs) Yeah, well, stay away. Stay home. Yeah, stay home. uh, A lot of us are doing right now as much as we can anyway. I know a lot of you out there are still going to work because you have to. I know Paul's still going to work because he needs to he needs to be there. And for other people and those of you out there who are still working, especially if you're on the front lines as a doctor or a nurse. It's not much, but thank you very much for what you're doing right now. And if you're out there caring for people and, you know, having any other job that allows people to get the things they need in order to sustain themselves as best as we all can right now, thank you for what you're doing. Really do appreciate your hard work. Again, it's only words. I know it's not much, but it's what we have to offer on this podcast. So thank you very much for what you are all doing out there. Now, our main story this week, which we're not going to start with right away, but The main topic, of course, as you would have guessed going into this, is we are going to talk about the updated release schedule for various Marvel Studios movies beginning with Black Widow in November of this year. So we are going to get into that, but we have a couple of other things that I want to talk about first, starting with Avengers Endgame, just because it was trending again last night and today on the day that we're recording this episode, which is Tuesday, April 7th. So there was a Twitter user named Scott Gustin who shared some videos today that also were paired with the audio of audience reactions at various high points in Avengers Endgame, Cap wielding Mjolnir, I Am Iron Man, and of course, Portals with Avengers Assemble. And it was a great reminder of what a unique experience it was to see Endgame with an audience on opening night, on opening weekend, and even after opening weekend. And a lot of people, of course, were noticing it, including Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige who then quoted one of Scott Gustin's tweets and then said the following, a nice reminder of what we were all doing together almost exactly one year ago, a nice reminder of what we will all be doing together someday again, hashtag Avengers Endgame. And I don't know, I felt like I needed that tweet from Kevin Feige. I mean, it felt good to hear from the person who's in charge of Marvel Studios to just hear about the idea of us going back to theaters again. I know we talked a lot about that last week, about some of the different challenges that Marvel Studios, Disney, and movie theaters will be facing even when they are open again. And I think all of that stuff still remains. I think all of the points that we made last week still hold up, but also it's nice to have a dose of optimism and also just a reminder of how special it can be when people come together to watch a great story and they are treated to a story that's every, that's every bit as great, if not better, not if not, just flat out was better than what so many of us expected. And I've just been thinking a lot about Avengers Endgame lately. I mean, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the film, and it was actually a year ago today that I was at the Avengers Endgame press junket with the press conference, with the cast, as well as just going through. They had costumes on display there, and a couple days before that, got to hang out with Joe and Anthony Russo a little bit when they did a little screening of some footage from Endgame and did a reception afterwards on the Disney lot. And so we're just getting into a lot of those one-year anniversary type things of various events for Avengers Endgame. And it's just a great reminder of how special that experience was. And it is kind of the shining example, one of the shining examples in the modern era 
uh, maybe the brightest one, of why we go to the movies, why we come together to watch these stories. So it was nice to see that and, and nice to have that reminder about uh, Avengers Endgame. I'm sure you liked it as well, Paul. Yeah, I I haven't seen the video yet. I've just been working all day and I haven't, I, I, I've seen people talk about it. I know you told me that Kevin t- uh, tweeted it out. That's great. That moment is one of my favorite moments in in Marvel cinematic history. And it was something that I've been, you know, pounding the table for, for a long, long time. And I just, it always used to upset me from age of Ultron. Why didn't that happen? Me and you've had our classic debates about it, but I think we all agree that it was all worth it because of Endgame. And for me, that moment is so, it's such a payoff for so many different levels as an MCU fan, but as a diehard, you know, Marvel fan, Marvel zombie, it was, it, it was a dream come true to see that. And, and again, that movie has did all kinds of things that I've been waiting for years. Any, any Marvel fan had been waiting for to hear Avengers assemble cap, you know, wielding Mjolnir. Um, so many different things that you just want, you could not, you've been waiting to see forever. You finally got it. Like I never thought I was going to get Avengers Assemble just because I thought they, that was maybe too hokey or whatever. And now it's probably one of the biggest moments in MCU history. And now when they say the name or not, when they say the name, when they say the term assemble Avengers or Avengers assemble in the future, it's going to mean something. And so and they're, I don't think they're going to throw it around every other every time there's an Avengers movie now. But when there's a big moment, that's when they'll do it. And I think that's what's really exciting is that what that so the mainstream audience now knows what Avengers Assemble means. And as a comic book fan, as as we know how much of a big deal that was, now the mainstream audience has that for themselves in Endgame. And I think that to me is. You know, I think when I think back to Endgame and, and all those moments, that all that kind of sh- uh, goes back to me. And I always think about how awesome that is that mainstream audience now has ownership of having the Avengers Assemble title and having Cap wield uh, Molnir and that whole moment of portals and, and everything, how special that was. All that stuff is now going to be entrenched in their in in pop culture, and and before it was just in comic book culture. Now it is entrenched in pop culture, so it's really it's really awesome. And I think obviously Endgame is, is a true to force film, and I need to re- yeah. I need to rewatch it. I've I've been busy watching uh, Star Wars films in four K, but yeah, it's a generational cinematic event. Yeah. I mean, it is the defining cinematic experience of the modern era, at least the modern era. It's really incredible, and in, in looking at not only how we responded to it, and you can go back and listen to our four-hour spoiler review yeah. with our good friend uh, John Beerley, whom we lost earlier this year, but you know we were we were so excited to do that show together. But I feel like I'm still in in many in some ways. Obviously, there's other things that that take me out of that headspace, but it hasn't been too difficult for me to to tap back into it. I've watched Endgame a lot over the past year, from several times, of course, in theaters, and then several times at home. I think we've done three different Endgame watch parties at this point on the Patreon, and we'll probably do another one pretty soon with the anniversary coming up. We'll see what happens there, but it is such an incredible experience. I mean, it's such a great movie just all by itself, but then when you factor in how people were responding to it and that communal experience, uh, it was really unlike anything. And I've been part of some pretty hot crowds in movie theaters. And I know this is more of an American thing. This doesn't happen in theaters in other countries because some people are even asking that today. Like, this is what theaters are like in the U.S. Not always, but sometimes. 
there are movies where you know people cheer. It, it happens quite frequently on Marvel movies for opening nights. It's happened on other comic book movies for opening nights. Star Wars gets some of that. Um, Lord of the Rings. Uh, I've been to Lord of the Rings opening night screenings where you you hear some of those cheers. So it's not something that's totally new for audiences to respond, but it's the it's just on a different level. It's that it's that energy from the crowd that is just increased exponentially because this is all stuff that they have been that we have collectively been investing in over time and wanting these moments cap to lift Mjolnir to hear Avengers assemble and the way that cap says it and what's so beautiful about it and I think it just becomes even more meaningful in times like this where we're and, and where it's easy to feel lost and it's easy to feel, you know, or, or wonder how we're going to find our way back through tragic circumstances. And I know that, of course, this fictional story doesn't override what's actually happening in the real world, but we do look for inspiration where we can find it. And I think there's plenty of inspiration to be found in Avengers Endgame because, you know, you talk about how, you know, Cap saying Avengers Assemble well, now it belongs to everybody because it's not just comic book fans who are familiar with the phrase anymore. It's everybody who saw Avengers Endgame, which is almost literally everybody in the world based on the box office. But it's not just the, fil- the familiarity with the phrase. It's the meaning of the phrase in that moment, because who's standing alongside and behind Steve Rogers when he finally says Avengers Assemble for the first time in the MCU? It's not just characters who we know are Avengers. It's warriors from Wakanda. It's Ravagers. It's, it's Howard the Duck. I mean, it's everybody. And I kind of connect it to Hawkeye's speech to Scarlet Witch back in Avengers Age of Ultron of how when he says, if you step out that door and you fight, you are an Avenger. And that's kind of what it is in that moment in Portals. When he's saying Avengers assemble, everybody who's willing to stand in the face of evil and fight for good in that moment, right then and there, they are all Avengers. It doesn't necessarily mean they're permanent full-time members of the roster, but in that moment, in that battle, they are Avengers. And effectively, we as the audience, we are Avengers too. That's another way that I feel like we have ownership of it that makes it so beautiful and such a, a special moment that I just don't think audiences are going to ever forget. I think people will always remember what it was like to be in a theater and experience some of those moments in Avengers Endgame uh, with, of course, Cap-wielding Mjolnir, I Am Iron Man, Portals, those being some of, uh, of course, the biggest of, uh, of all the crazy, incredible moments that we were treated to in Avengers Endgame. But this podcast is not about Avengers Endgame. We have stuff to talk about for upcoming Marvel projects. Now, Marvel Studios gave a bunch of updated release dates to several movies, but one movie that did not get a release date but we have some news on is the next installment of the Ant-Man franchise. And I don't know if that's Ant-Man 3 or Ant-Man and the Wasp 2 or exactly what we're supposed to call this movie, but there is going to be another movie in the Ant-Man franchise. Peyton Reed is returning to direct, but we found out last week via The Hollywood Reporter that there is a new writer attached to the project, and that is Jeff Loveness. Jeff has credits on Rick and Morty. He also has credits on Jimmy Kimmel Live and some other shows. Um, And he actually continues what is becoming a growing group of writers uh, from the Rick and Morty writers room who are now working on Marvel projects. So in addition to Jeff Loveness, of course, Rick and Morty co-creator Dan Harmon worked on Doctor Strange, Jessica Gao, who was a writer on Rick and Morty. She's now the head writer on She-Hulk for Disney Plus. And Michael Waldron, who worked on Rick and Morty, has worked on Loki, and now he's working on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And Jeff Loveness already confirmed this news, so it's not just being reported by the trades. He tweeted out the Hollywood Reporter's article, and he said, I have found my Lear, 
we have no idea whether or not Jeff uh, Loveness's Lear is going to be the toast of Croydon like Trevor Slattery's was. But anyway, in addition to working on Rick and Morty, Loveness has written some Marvel and DC comics. Now, some of the Marvel comics that he's written, he did a six-issue Groot series in 2015 that I read at the time, and I, of course, really liked it. And then another series I hadn't read but then caught up with over the weekend was a series about, uh, it was a Nova series. It was a seven-issue Nova series that spanned 2016 and 2017. It featured the Sam Alexander Nova as well as the return of the Richard Ryder Nova. And there's some cool stuff in there that we are going, that I'm going to break down and we can speculate a little bit about maybe what this might mean for Ant-Man 3, although it doesn't really have to mean anything at all. It could be completely unrelated. You know, what he wrote in comic books is not necessarily going to tell us what he's writing in a Marvel Cinematic Universe film, especially since Ant-Man wasn't a part of any of these stories that we're going to talk about. But maybe there are some clues there. But before I get into that, in the very last issue, in issue seven of this Nova run, it was the end of the series. And so that's usually when on the letters page in Marvel Comics, you hear from the editor, you hear from the writer, you hear from the artist. And so we heard from the writer, Jeff Loveness. And here's, here's a part of what he said as he was wrapping up this series that I think was really, really great. And certainly, I think, carries a little extra meaning in, or can carry a little extra meaning in times like these. I grew up consuming Marvel, and the fact that I get to play a small part in Marvel today is a surreal joy I don't deserve. I love comics because they give you a world that understands you. Growing up, I felt lost, aimless, hopeless, rejected, alone, but so did my favorite Marvel characters. They went through the same problems, albeit maybe with a few more interdimensional tentacle monsters and or Phoenix-related problems, but most importantly, they showed me that we're so much stronger than our problems will ever be. We can always move forward, we can always change, we can find our hope again, we can step into life again, we can be kinder and better. I try to plunge that optimism into every story I write. These stories make my life better, and I hope they make your life better too. That's beautiful. And I absolutely love that that is his mentality, that that is his philosophy that he's sharing there. And that's certainly the kind of person, that's certainly the kind of perspective that is more than welcome within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's also the kind of optimism that I think is perfect for a character like Scott Lang and obviously Hope Van Dyne and anybody else and Hank Pym and anybody else, presumably, who would return in the Ant-Man franchise. But his, I, I liked his Groot series. I really loved the Nova series when I read that over the weekend. And based on what he shared here at the end of that Nova series, I think Marvel's made a pretty good hire. Yeah, I, I'm super bummed because I didn't realize that he is the one that brought back Richard Ryder. I know that there was an original sin they hinted at uh, that he was coming back, but I don't think he had come back yet. So I, was, I, I remember even looking for where and how he came back a while ago. Maybe, maybe I don't know how I missed this because I love Richard Ryder Nova. That's the Nova I grew up reading in New Warriors and teaming up with Spider-Man. So I, I love that. I, I'm actually really excited to read that. Uh, maybe I'll read it this weekend. Yeah, th this is interesting uh, on a number of levels. The fact that this guy obviously has worked in, in Hollywood and and he's got a lot of experience, but he's got experience with Marvel. And I think that's really cool because there's, and, and it's, it's not unprecedented. Um, okay, I'm going to butcher what his name because I always mix up his name with, with his other writing partner, but I think it's Chrisios or Kalios. I forget which one it is, but he wrote. Oh, yeah, Chrisios. Yeah, Chrisios wrote um, Thor 2 and, and Thor 3. Um, and it was, he wrote comic books before he did that. And, and for screenwriting, or at least for, that was his main job. And then um, 
he was with Craig Kyle was his writing partner. They wrote uh, New X Men. What's cool about Love um, this guy uh, is that he's written co- written comics and he's written you know obviously in Hollywood as well. So there's I love it when that you have people who love the medium of comic books and know the process because obviously writing comics and the mediums are all different. Just because you're a great writer at writing scripts for films doesn't mean you're going to be a, a great writer for comics, and, you know, and vice versa. Right. And, and and whatever. And not saying you can't be great at both, but it doesn't mean you're automatically, I'm a great writer. I can do whatever I want. Comic is a very specific medium. And I love it when people are successful at both, or at least they love it to give it a shot. And it, it again, not always, it's not always going to be, it's, it's going to be hit and miss, but when it hits, it's awesome. And I haven't read much of his stuff to be honest honest i think i read it the a spider-man annual that i frankly don't remember that very well that he wrote that i know i have read but i don't remember very well so i, I don't want to say like I, you know oh this guy is gonna be amazing i have no idea i'm i'm definitely excited to check out that uh nova series but all that being said I think it's really, really cool that this guy obviously loves the ki- these characters. He loves comics. And I love the fact that they're giving him a shot to write the script for a movie. And so it's a great opportunity that he's going to take very seriously. And I love that. I I think as fans, and I can I don't want to speak for all fans, but I think a lot of us, we just, you know, when, when people get hired for whatever franchise you love, whether it be Marvel or Star Wars or DC or whatever, you just want that person that's writing whatever you love to have that same reverence for what you what they're writing. And it's not just a job. We know it's a job. They're getting paid. But you want them to love those characters. You want them to have some kind of investment with them. Um, and again, it, sometimes you don't you don't always get, even when you have people who love it, they don't always get things you, you like necessarily. But you still want them, at least in the early stages, when you find out such and such is writing this or whatever, you want them to be excited and to not just excited because they're getting a job or whatever, but to actually love those characters and where they come from. And because we love it so much. And I think that it's cool when you have someone like you said, who wrote at the very end of that, of that comic, Sean, they love what they do. And it's, it's really exciting to know that this guy like knows these characters. I mean, he wrote, Nova and wrote like in just looking at some of the covers of these issues, there's deep continuity stuff already. I saw Gamora and Richard Ryder Nova like on the cover of yep. one of the issues. I'm like, dang man, that's a right there's a deep cut because Nova and Gamora had a relationship for a number of years. And so there's there is a lot. I love the fact that they're bringing someone in, you know, that loves these characters and loves Marvel, etc. But yeah, I'm really excited to see where this is. I know you want to talk about what this could mean for the, the movie itself. And I have, you know, we both have things we want to talk about that. But yeah, I think it's really cool. And uh, I'm really excited to read Nova and also read or see what he does for Ant-Man 3 or Ant-Man and the Wasp 2. <laughs> As you were saying, Paul, I mean, just because we know what Jeff Loveness has done in the past. I mean, I like Rick and Morty. I like the comic books that he's written for Marvel with Groot and Nova. But of course, that doesn't tell us what's going to happen as far as uh, as far as the script that he would deliver for a third Ant-Man film. But Marvel's got historically anyway, a pretty good eye for talent. And so I think that what you look for is somebody who's done good things, which Jeff Loveness has, and then also has a level of care for this stuff and a deep appreciation for it, as he expressed in that last issue of Nova. So I think that's really what matters is he's coming from the right place. And then hopefully the script is, uh, you know, lives up to the potential that I think he has. If it doesn't, then they'll just hire another writer and they'll do another draft on the script. That's the way this stuff works. But I have a lot of confidence in Jeff 
based on uh, based on what I read over the weekend with Nova, and also just based on the philosophy, the his approach to this, and how much he cares. I do think that's going to mean something, and that's going to be evident in the story that he helps Marvel create as a writer on this third Ant Man film. And speaking of that, I mean, once one of the things that's been shared in the past few days since we found out that Jeff Loveness was going to be writing Ant Man, people have shared one of the pages from one of those Nova issues where Richard Ryder is he's hanging out with Sam Alexander, but he's being introduced to the champions. So there's Miss Marvel, there's the Miles Morales Spider Man. And as Richard Ryder is meeting these individuals, he, of course, has been dead. He's been gone all this time. So when Kamala Khan is Miss Marvel, he's like, isn't that Carol? No, she's Captain Marvel. And then he's thinking Captain Marvel's dead. So there's a lot of stuff that he has to catch up on. And also that there is this brand new Spider-Man in front of him. And so it, it wasn't really, it's not that the whole issue is, or the whole series is about young heroes. In fact, that's the only issue where the champions appear outside of, of course, Sam Alexander, who's a Nova and a member of the champions. So Sam Alexander is the only young hero who's obviously a main character in the story. But one of the things that has been speculated about for the next thing that could happen with Scott Lang and potentially Hope Van Dyne as well and I really need to go back and start digging up my receipts. I know a lot of them are on Patreon podcasts where I started talking about how one of the things that I could see them doing with Scott and Hope, and this is from a while ago, uh, before it became more fashionable to speculate about it, but now it's out there. And I think everybody's kind of getting hip to the idea of maybe Scott and Hope might be chaperoning some young heroes because you've got Cassie Lang, who was now 15 years old in Avengers Endgame, so she would be probably a couple years older by the time we see the next Ant-Man film, depending on where exactly it takes place in the MCU timeline. So you have her, you have Peter Parker Spider-Man, who's still hanging around in the MCU for now, hopefully sticks around for the long term. We'll see where it goes after the this current iteration of the Spider-Man sharing deal that we're in. Uh, but we know that Kamala Khan is on the way in the Miss Marvel Disney Plus series. Kate Bishop is on the way in the Hawkeye Disney Plus series. And so we have this roster of young heroes that is being built up. And so with family being such a big part of the Ant-Man franchise at this point, I mean, it is kind of Marvel's family film franchise. It really has been. And so when you think of that, it just feels like a natural transition for Scott and Hope to be maybe working with some young heroes. And I don't know that that means it's the entire plot of the movie. It either could be, or maybe it's a significant step on the path toward some other sort of young Avengers or champions type team. And that's not even counting as I was talking about the roster. I mean, you have Shuri, who's still fairly young in Wakanda. I know she's older than she was in the first Black Panther film, but she's still one of the younger heroes in the MCU. Potentially, you've got Wiccan and Speed, who could emerge from WandaVision, or Viz and Viv, who could emerge from WandaVision. We don't know where that's going to go just yet. But we have more and more young heroes bursting onto the scene in the MCU in the years to come. And so just based on Jeff Loveness's background here, and, and I don't want to read too much into it because this was just one page from one issue of Nova, but the rest of the series was about Sam Alexander, who's a young hero, so I could see it. And the whole idea of the mentor-mentee relationship between Richard Ryder and Sam Alexander, maybe some of that will be between Scott and his daughter Cassie, but maybe some other young heroes as well. So it certainly doesn't tell us for sure that we are going to get a lot of young heroes in this third Ant-Man movie. It doesn't tell us that. It doesn't confirm any of that. But it certainly fuels that speculation for me, and I know a lot of other people. Yeah, and I think that that's a... 
it's it's such a safe thing for me to say that that the young Avengers or a young the young idea is there just because Cassie's there and Stature's there and I I think it does bode well the fact that he wrote Nova and and like like you were kind of saying and I think that's very very it seems very practical and I think that if if we're looking at Ant Man and the Wasp I think it also helps set up I think uh, one of the Thunderbolts and I think that. Ant Man and the Wasp could be setting up the next, you know, at least a some kind of Avengers of, of, of anything. And I've gone on a lot about this as well myself. And I think that either way, I, th- I think Ant Man or, uh, yeah, Ant Man and the Wasp could be not just the chaperones for this one movie, but I think they could be in another, uh, the next Avengers movie and be the leaders. Oh, totally. Yeah. And so I think this could be the precursor of that. And I think that might be where we're headed a little bit. Um, like you said, Sean, I don't think it's going to be the whole thing where it's this them saying, oh, you're the next, uh, you know, it's all them forming this team. I think it's going to be a number of characters introducing themselves through that through that team, and they're going to be the de facto chaperones or the leaders, you know, in the in the in the wake of whatever comes out uh in the in whatever so um which yeah so i i think that it's it's all very valid at this point i mean it's definitely all speculation but i i as far as the the uh the main theme of the of the film but i think we all can agree the main themes and be about family and about you know raising probably a superhero at this point and someone yeah. that you know, wants to follow in their well, footsteps it's already there in the it's not just there in the comic books it's there in ant-man and the wasp yeah and cassie thinks that she is Scott's partner. You know, mm-hmm. like she, and she wants to be Scott's superhero partner. And it's like, no, talking about hope. Oh, you know, like Cassie has already shown her interest. And that was when she was 10. So now imagine her, you know, having aged yeah. several years. So, um, and of course still being a teenager, but now that like, I'm, I don't think she wanted, she stopped wanting to be a superhero since we last checked in with her on that as far as what she wanted. So she's going to want to be a superhero. And I think for Scott, obviously he's going to have, reservations about it of course he is he's a parent Mm -hmm. but if he realizes that there's no stopping this and then something happens where cassie gets powers then it's like well either she's going to do it without you where you can't help guide her and help keep her safe or she's going to do it with you where you can provide some guidance and maybe help keep her safe and i think scott will make that choice kind of like he has in the comic books as well so i i think we will see some version of that i I, again I, i don't know how much of it is a plot versus subplot versus whatever, but I do think we're going to get some, at the very least, I think we're going to get a young hero, probably Cassie, and maybe a couple of others working with Scott and Hope and Hank in this film, maybe Janet as well, hopefully Michelle Pfeiffer's back. So I think we will see some of that in this movie. The question is just how much of the movie will revolve around that yeah. and versus how much might be saved for uh, a Young Avengers or Champions Disney Plus series or feature film, for all we know. So. Who knows where it's going to go, but the most important thing is that right now, I think there's a talented writer who really cares about this stuff, who's now taking a pass on the script for Ant-Man 3, and of course, Peyton Reed is back, who I've really enjoyed the job he's done in the first two movies, so I think everything's starting off in the right place as far as the talent involved, and, uh, and, I, and I think their hearts are in the right place going into uh, their development of this film, and I can't wait to see it, but we don't know when we're going to see it, because as we now finally talk about some updated Marvel Studios release dates, Ant-Man 3 is still not officially on the list. We know there's a movie on the way, but we don't have a release date. We do have updated release dates for several other Marvel films. So let's just go ahead and start by listing those all at once. 
So the next Marvel Studios movie that we are scheduled to see in theaters is Black Widow on November 6, 2020. That date used to belong to the Eternals. And so what we have are several Marvel films that have just slid back a spot on the Marvel release schedule. So Black Widow on November 6th of this year, The Eternals, February 12th, 2021, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, May 7th, 2021, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, November 5th, 2021, Thor, Love and Thunder, February 18th, 2022, Black Panther 2 on its original release date, which was announced at D23 last year. It is still set for May 6th, 2022. And then we have Captain Marvel 2 officially added to the release calendar for the first time last week. It wasn't previously on there with an official release date, but now it's going to be out on July 8th of 2022. We do not have any updates. We can talk about that a little bit later on, but no updates on any premiere dates for Disney Plus series. So no changes there, at least not that we've been told. And then the third Marvel Studios produced Spider-Man solo film, which is set for July 16th of 2021. That has not changed as of yet, but let's remember that all of these announcements that we got last Friday, they were all from Disney. Disney, while they are a 30% co-financing partner on that Spider-Man film, they are not the primary distributor. That's Sony. So it's Sony's call as far as whether or not the release date has to move on that movie. I don't foresee that movie having to move unless in the situation that we're in right now, it results in a major production delay to where it can't make that July 16th, 2021 release date. If that happens, then we could see it slide. But even if it does, I think it would only slide by maybe a few weeks or maybe a couple months. I still think it ends up coming out in between a couple of other Marvel films in 2021, the May release, which is now Shang-Chi and Doctor Strange, which is in, uh, in November. So I know when we get this news and Black Widow, which was going to be out on May 1st, and now we're waiting six additional months to get that movie. It's, of course, disappointing, but I am happy to see that the intent is still to release this movie in theaters. I, of course, talked a lot about that last week of how Disney might have other options and would be considering other options, and I believe they did, and I believe they still might, but I think right now, as I said all along last week, that their preference is still to have a theatrical release for these movies, and I think Kevin Feige's tweet today echoes that that this is where they still want to do it. They want to bring us together for these Marvel movies in theaters. And I think that's awesome because I love watching Marvel movies. I love watching all movies, but particularly really love watching Marvel movies in theaters. And it's an incredible experience to watch a Marvel movie with an opening night crowd. And yes, it's disappointing that it's not going to happen in May, but it's become apparent from a while ago before they even postponed the movie that May 1st just wasn't going to happen for Black Widow. And so, yeah, it's a little bit of a longer wait. But if you look at this release schedule now, I mean, when we get to Black Widow, and before we see Black Widow, we might still see Falcon and Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. We don't know if the premiere date for Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to change at all. We don't know that yet. But when we get to either Falcon and Winter Soldier within a few months or Black Widow in November, just look at the way that schedule lines up. Every few months, we're getting a new Marvel movie. And in between those movies, we're going to be getting Marvel Studios Disney Plus series. So yes, it is longer than we wait than we thought we were going to have to wait between MCU chapters. And now this will actually be, even if the Falcon and the Winter Soldier premieres in August. Either way, the gap from Far from, from Spider-Man: Far From Home in July of last year to Falcon and Winter Soldier in August or Black Widow in November. That's the longest wait we would have had between chat between new chapters of the Marvel Cinematic Universe since The Incredible Hulk in June 2008 to Iron Man 2 in May 2010. So almost a full two years between those. 
but that's it. We haven't had to wait that long since then. The longest wait besides that was between Avengers in May 2012 and Iron Man 3 in May of 2013. So now we're going to surpass that wait. But again, as tough as it's going to be, and, and believe me, I feel the disappointment that people feel over this. What I'm happy about is once we get going again, we're just not going to slow down. Yeah. Once the MCU ramps up, it's not slowing down. And that part of it is, is exciting. And it's also really good to hear that the intent and there is still a very strong commitment to releasing these movies in theaters, including Black Widow, which you know a week ago I wasn't quite as sure about. I kind of think this could be almost a blessing in disguise for Black Widow, just be, for a number of reasons. I think you said it also about this is the longest gap between films uh, as far as between Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2. You have the old saying, absence uh, makes the heart grow fonder. I feel that you know, delaying it out a little bit, it, just for our Marvel fans, might give us a little bit more of a of a, of a yearning to see it because um, we haven't seen a Marvel film in a while. I know I, just from speaking for myself, I'm, you know, it's been a while. And I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, you know, I'm, I'm getting excited for Black Widow because I haven't seen a Marvel film in a while. And now that it got pushed out, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I, really, I, was, I was really looking forward to seeing that. And now I really wanted, I'm going to be jonesing for it by the time it happens. And I think, I think this could be a good thing for a number of reasons also from the, the standpoint of, by the time, to be honest, I think Black Widow could be what brings people back to theaters in general. I mean, because I think theaters will probably be open before that. But how much before that, I don't know. And will they flock to see the uh, movies in the theater that aren't these big franchise things that makes them want to right. go see it? And I think that, honestly, Black Widow could be one of them. And it would not shock me if Black Widow kind of rejuvenated the theater going experience a little bit or maybe Wonder Woman before that. If it's again, if that release date stays the same in August. But all that being said. I think that this this is going to be a good thing in the end because I think that there's, again, there's going to be a lot of hype to go see this movie. I think people are going to be ready to see, I think I think people are going to be ready to see the movies in the theater again by that point. At least a good portion of people that will want to go see it because they they want to see something in the theater. They, they miss being outside. We've kind of talked a little bit about this last time, but I think this could be a really good thing because by, by the time November rolls around, hopefully, you know, things will be a lot calmer. People will feel more safe outside or and maybe theaters will have more regulations or have different seating arrangements or whatever. Either way, I think that Black Widow could be the start of a new era for theaters and, and potentially, I don't know, but I think if they were going to change things, Sean, this would be a good time to do it with a Marvel film that has that long period of time between that and Endgame and people really excited to see a Marvel film in the theater because we all know Marvel is a, it, it is basically keeping the theaters afloat in my opinion. And it's, it's so it is. So for me, there's a lot of exciting things I think that you could, that, Black Widow could do, I think, from a real life level of of bringing people back into the theater, and also just as a hardcore Marvel zombie like myself, I'm ready to see a Marvel film. I was ready to see it now, but now I'm really going to be ready to see it. And I I will say, um, in regards to the Eternals, I honestly think that the is it the that next February, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I actually think that's a really great release date for that movie because, as someone again. I'm I'm just I'm skeptical about the Eternals. I've been saying it and I will gladly be happy being proven wrong, but I think it actually 
helps the Eternals being released in February, a time that is very wide open. And it's been both forgiving and unforgiving for films. It's been, you know, very forgiving and, and great for a Deadpool. It wasn't as good for our Birds of Prey, which is sad because Birds of Prey was a great movie in my opinion and and whatever. But my point being is you just don't really know what you're going to get in that time frame. So, but I think a Marvel film coming out in February, I mean, it did, obviously, um, uh, oh my gosh, Black Panther came out yeah. around that time. So obviously that's huge and, and it can mean great things. So, I honestly think this is this is a great time to release the Eternals, and I think that that's going to help that movie way way more. And hopefully, Black Widow is great, and Eternals is great, and then they're then at that point, Sean, they're just going to be rolling, and it's going to be and everyone's going to be excited for Phase Four. So, I think in the end, it's going to suck at the wait. But let's be real. We have to wait for everything, not just for Marvel, but for literally everything. Oh, yeah. And a, a great thing to keep in mind, though, as far as these movies potentially benefiting from this is Marvel's philosophy in that they never settle for what is a good movie. They always strive to make the best possible movie that they can. And they plus these movies up until the last minute. And all of these films just got a lot more minutes to continue being plused. So there is the argument for sure that we could see better versions of all of these movies potentially. I mean, I don't know how much, because they can't just keep spending money on these things. I mean, you have to pay people to keep working on movies if you're going to plus them. And so I don't know that they're going to inflate the budgets of all these projects to keep people at work on them, even through these extended periods, mainly for Black Widow. I I don't know that they're going to really do an extra several months worth of work on Black Widow before it hits theaters in November. So I don't know how much that movie is going to change. It's a little extra time for something like Eternals. I don't really know that Eternals needed that time, but that one is only being pushed back a few months from its initial release date, which is disappointing because I was really looking forward to the Eternals, but I'll have other Marvel projects to keep my attention and help pass the time while we wait a little extra, uh, a few extra months for the Eternals. But when we look beyond the Eternals in February, Shang-Chi, Doctor Strange, Thor Love and Thunder, all of these movies will benefit from sliding back because... When we look at Shang-Chi, its production is suspended. So whenever it gets happening again, whenever they can actually get back to work on that film, the timeline was going to be tight. There was going to be a question anyway whether or not that film could still make a February 2021 release date. And now they don't have to worry about that because the release date's been pushed by almost three months as it slides back to May. Doctor Strange moves back an additional six months from where it was originally going to come out. And so that movie was really getting going in pre-production right now to get ready for production in June. But now, of course, there's question as to whether or not they'll even really get started in June. But now it's okay if they don't. And all of this is, is also extra time for Sam Raimi, who's only been on the job for a few months to keep working on this movie. I don't know that that completely changes things in a, in a monumental way. But if every little bit helps, then here's a little extra time that Sam Raimi has with this movie because he hasn't been with it from the start. He's only been with it since Scott Derrickson left earlier this year. So there's a little bit of an extra benefit there. No changes to Black Panther and no real changes to Captain Marvel either. So I think for the movies that are impacted as far as their release dates are concerned, I do think there could potentially be a benefit and we maybe see even better versions of these movies than we would have seen anyway. Or at the very least, they're going to be as good as they were always, uh, as they were already going to be. So I think all of that is positive. And I think these things can be worth the wait. And I also think from Disney and Marvel's perspective in terms of these release dates, I think November is smart for Black Widow. As I've said before, it's not just about theaters being open again. It's about theaters being open and people being ready to go back. 
And as we went through some of the different consumer surveys that were out there last week, there were a lot of people saying they were going to want a few months. And so if you take a few months, if you have theaters opening this summer, a few months from that is November, Black Widow, right in time for people to maybe hopefully be ready to go back, depending on how the situation evolves. I'm a little curious for Disney, though, in that they still have Disney Pixar Soul. That's still listed for June of this year. I don't really see how that happens. And even that uh, July 24th release date for Mulan is kind of suspect to me, just like I think Wonder Woman 84's April 14th release date, that those are a little suspect to me. I don't really know how well those are going to do, even if theaters are open. I, I feel like that's too close to all of this. But who knows? Maybe I'll be wrong about that. Or maybe we'll see those dates uh, for those movies being pushed a little bit. They don't have to make decisions on those films just yet, which is why I think they have the, the ability to just leave these things where they are for now and then make adjustments. And we could potentially see, it's worth acknowledging, this is the plan as of last week, and it's still the plan as of today. But as Paul and you and I were talking about off air, you don't get to tell a virus, well, here's our schedule based on when we want to release our movies. So there are certain things that studios don't necessarily get to account for, and that there are certain decisions that aren't ultimately up to them as far as whether or not it's really going to be okay to release these movies in the timeframes that you see here with these release dates. But there's enough distance between now and the first one of these Marvel release dates with Black Widow that hopefully things will be okay. But if it becomes apparent to Disney and Marvel and every other studio in Hollywood that release dates even later in 2020, even in the last couple months of the year, that those aren't really going to be all that viable either, then potentially we could see these dates slide back even further. But that's the kind of stuff we'll worry about it if we get to that point. For now, mm -hmm. at least we have a plan. Plans are always subject to change. Yeah. But what we didn't have a week ago is we didn't even have a plan. We just had a bunch of question marks surrounding these movies. At least now we know what the intent is, what the plan is of when we can potentially see these Marvel movies. And hopefully everybody will be able to stick to these plans, not just because we want to see our Marvel movies, but that's also a sign of us getting things back to uh, you know whatever new version of normal we're going to have in the wake of all this. Yeah, I, I think that's what's really nice to have, like you said, Sean, is that we're, we're got, we got plans now. We've, there is at least a some kind of structure that we can kind of know in our minds understand and, and get behind and, and go, okay, I know these movies are going to come out soon. They're not going to come out on Disney Plus first. It, it gives, I think it gives us hope that things will eventually get back to normal. And I think that honestly is a, a big part of it. I think people want to have some kind of normalcy right now because things are so, you know, there's so much chaos in the world that escapism is even more important right now. And the problem is that even the people that create the escapism they are now having to stay home and they can't just you can't just work from home forever to to create this stuff. Eventually, you have to get outside the house and create it uh, for the most part. So there is yeah. a, there, you know, and people and again, and even in the comic books, I mean, right now, they're all the all the comic books that people can work on. They've they've halted all the production on it because there's no comic shops to really open up and sell this, these things anytime soon. So they don't want to get a, a backlog and all you know, whatever. So. It's just kind of crazy right now, and I think that what's what's nice that Marvel has done is given us a, a time frame that life will return back to normal, and you can anticipate in November life could be potentially no 
semi-normal. And I want to make that very clear, semi-normal. And again, it just gives us hope that things can maybe get back on track in our lives at some point. And I think that's what this escapism right. is helpful for, is that it makes us go, oh yeah, this quarantine, it won't last forever. We're eventually going to get through it. So there's there is a lot of great things with that, I will say. Yeah, and I think there's a level of comfort that audiences have with the MCU. I mean, in a lot of ways, the Marvel Cinematic Universe feels like home to moviegoers. I mean, it's the franchise they show up for more than any other these days as far as consistency is concerned. And I think people are looking forward to that experience. And I do expect, as many do, that there will be reservations that some will have as far as going back to the theater. But that time will also pass. And I don't know if you get everybody back, but you can get enough of a majority of the audience to come back to still make theatrical exhibition worthwhile. And I do think one of the ultimate motivators or one of the most powerful motivators that audiences can have to return to the theaters is a new Marvel Studios movie because audiences love these movies. And that's there's a relationship that the audience has with these movies that has been developed and there's a certain level of trust that's been earned over time. And it has to be renewed. It doesn't mean that audiences are now permanently in love with the MCU and Marvel can do no wrong. That's absolutely not true. Marvel has to continue to impress audiences by continuing to tell great new stories multiple times a year because of how often they release films. So all of that still has to happen, but the audience has confidence that when they show up, they're going to get something worthwhile. And as long as Marvel Studios continues to deliver stories that maintain that confidence on the part of the audience, then you know the Marvel movies are the ultimate treat for moviegoers to go see it. It's something that they can count on, and they want to get back to that sort of experience. And right now, it can be difficult to see those things because we're, we're in quarantine and people are going through really extremely difficult circumstances, and you know, obviously some much more difficult and more extreme than others, but you know, people want to, people will want to get back to something resembling normal before all of this. And we don't yet know exactly what that's going to look like, but sometimes it is the simple things that really make all the difference. And the simple thing of the simple act of going to the movies, sitting down and being taken to another world to be told a, a really interesting and engaging emotional story that connects with you on multiple levels, that engages different emotions within you. I think audiences are going to be craving, maybe not everybody, but most people are going to be craving, enough people, I should say, are going to be craving that experience. And so I don't know what that looks like. I don't know as far as whatever box office models we would have for this stuff. I mean, I would just say in advance of any of these major movies coming out, we can't compare them as far as their financial performance to movies before all of this, because we don't know what the marketplace looks like in the wake of this pandemic. But as far as just the the general level of excitement for audiences to go back to the theater and watch Marvel movies, I think there's going to be enough of it, and hopefully this November sixth release date will be far enough from all of, will be far enough from the peak of all of this to where we can actually be excited and everybody will be ready to go to the movies and watch Black Widow on opening night in November. I know I certainly look forward to being there because Marvel opening nights are always pretty special, and uh, as Endgame was. But of course, that's kind of the crowning achievement of Marvel opening nights. But plenty of other Marvel opening nights have been special. And I think Black Widow will be as well. As And the same for Eternals, Shang-Chi, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, if that release date holds in July of 2021, Thor Love and Thunder, 
And then, of course, we'll get into Black Panther and Captain Marvel 2. So we don't yet have a release date for Ant-Man 3, but Marvel does have some other release dates that don't have films on them yet. So they did have July 29th, 2022, but that one was basically swapped because Disney had an, another untitled movie on July 8th, 2022. That's now Captain Marvel 2. July 29th, 2022 has gone to Indiana Jones 5, assuming anybody ever actually makes that movie. And then Marvel has other release dates. They have one more in 2022. That's October 7th. Most of the speculation is that that's going to be Blade. We'll see. And then they have four release dates for 2023, February 17th, May 5th, July 28th, and November, uh, November 3rd. So either October 7th, 2022, which I think is more likely to be Blade, or one of these four 2023 dates is probably the third Ant-Man film. And I think that's the one question I would have, though, is what was the February 2022 movie going to be? Because it was this open date between Love and Thunder and Black Panther 2. Was that going to be Captain Marvel 2 all along? And then Captain Marvel 2 just moved back behind Black Panther? I don't really think so, because the rumors had been that was a July 2022 release all along. So maybe Ant-Man got bumped out of that February spot, but we don't really know. Bottom line, there's plenty of Marvel content on the way. And we'll see how all of this goes. Uh, the last thing that I want to touch on, I said we would circle back to the Disney Plus series, and I'm going to keep that promise. Here we are. So question for you, Paul, is really, I think the only one that to factor in here is Falcon and Winter Soldier, because everything else I think is okay. Like Loki, I know production is shut down right now, but that one isn't scheduled to come out until the spring of next year anyway. And we don't really have it. We don't even have a specific month. We just have a season, and there's still enough time for them to finish that show, put it out in some time that would still be considered spring of 2021. And it has more time to come out before Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is the movie that Loki is going to tie into. Same for WandaVision. And even though production is shut down on WandaVision, I feel like that one can still make its December premiere date because they were almost done with the series. They already had the wrap party, which sometimes happens before principal photography is literally 100% complete, but it does mean they're, they were almost done. So I think they can still make their same date unless it needs to move for some other reason. The one that's a little bit tougher is Falcon and Winter Soldier because that's scheduled to premiere sometime in August. We don't know what day, we just know the month. And similar to WandaVision, they were just about done with production, but not fully done. But, uh, you know, so they still have some time to finish up and maybe it won't affect the premiere date if the, if the last things they need to shoot are maybe just from the last episode of the series, which means that episode probably wouldn't premiere until September or October anyway, so they might have time to finish it. I think the bigger question for Falcon and Winter Soldier is not so much the production questions, although those are still very real, but it is out of order now based on what we were originally told of Black Widow and then Falcon and Winter Soldier. And Black Widow, we know, is a prequel set between Civil War and Infinity War, but Feige has also said that the movie is going to tie into or have some impact on the future of the MCU. He, of course, never elaborated on what that was. We would have to see the movie to figure that out for ourselves. But Paul, it's been part of our speculation here on this show about Ross and Thunderbolts and, you know, potentially is Yelena involved in that? Is Taskmaster involved in that? Is Melina involved in that? Red Guardian? We've talked about different things associated with the Thunderbolts for Black Widow, and we've also talked about different things associated with the Thunderbolts for Falcon Winter Soldier. Doesn't mean we're right, by the way. It's just something we've speculated about. But where do you stand on this idea of Falcon Winter Soldier coming out ahead of Black Widow? And I know it's kind of unknowable right now, but 
Is there a circumstance where you would rather wait to see Falcon and Winter Soldier until after Black Widow? The fact that Black Widow is already a prequel, I don't really think it matters. Because if it even if it did hint at what's going to maybe happen in or a, a little bit into Falcon and Winter Soldier, I think us finding out, let's say uh, Ross end credit scene was them, was Ross, you know, setting up the Thunderbolts. And in Falcon Winter Soldier, there's there's the seeds of that. And we're seeing him starting to do that to me because it's a prequel of Black Widow. That if that was the end credit scene, it would only it just kind of solidifies more of what's going on and, and how connected it all is. And and maybe it won't be as a a great stinger, if you will. It at least again it makes it the continuity all you know bridge it together. And I don't think it's that much of a stretch to or to be honest, I think it makes uh, the Falcon Winter Soldier thing even more important if that's the first time we ever hear of it because. We're going to see that as the first time on screen uh, with Disney Plus and not on a movie theater. So to me, it doesn't really matter. I think that either way, I I also don't think they're going to be spilling out Thunderbolt stuff verbatim in that series. I think it's just going to set up something that it's going to, you know, that it will call back to later on or, you know, Ross will show up at the very end and say, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then people go, what does this mean? And then they'll see Black Widow and go, oh, that's what it means. Okay. So to me, it's like, you, it, because it's already a prequel, you could kind of do it either way. If it, if it fed directly into Falcon Winter Soldier, like it fast forwards and, it, and it's a big old setup, then maybe you do that end credit scene at the beginning of Falcon Winter Soldier and then do a whole new end credit scene somehow, if you can, in some way that makes any sense. But that to me is, is, is what I don't, in the end, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think people are going to get over it. If you need to incorporate a scene from black widow into Falcon winter soldier to make it make sense, you have to do that. And then you have to sacrifice that for black, you know, a black widow, but in film, something else to tease the audience, which I don't think will be very hard. You can just, you know, tease, for God's sakes, at the very end of Black Widow, if you needed a new uh, Stinger end credit scene, you'd go, let's get uh, Jon Snow with the Ebony Blade and Black Knight, and he's like, whatever. That'd right. make me happy. Whatever. You can do whatever you want. So it to me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm more in, in your camp. I mean, with the obvious qualifier out there that, sure, if there is something in Black Widow that we really need to know in order to really understand that will significantly improve our understanding and the emotional impact of an episode or a pivotal scene or something, some other part of Falcon and Winter Soldier, then okay, delay Falcon and Winter Soldier until we actually get, uh, you know, until we actually get to see Black Widow. If that's the case, fine, but we don't know that that's the case and I don't want to assume that that's the case. So, because the only times I would say that they should delay Falcon and Winter Soldier until after we see Black Widow uh, would be, well, of course, if they literally, because of the production shutdowns right now, can't finish Falcon and Winter Soldier before Black Widow premieres in theaters, then obviously they have to delay it. But that has nothing to do with story or continuity. That's just based on the production uh, situation right now with all of these Marvel Studios projects and every project out there in entertainment right now. So there is that part of it. But aside from production issues, the only other thing that the, the scenarios in which uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier should be delayed on account of Black Widow would be, as I said, if there's something in Black Widow that we need to see in advance or retroactively, 
If something in the Falcon and Winter Soldier spoils a major surprise or twist in Black Widow, and I'm not talking about a post-credit scene, I'm talking about like a middle of the movie thing, which I don't consider to be that likely, but if that's true, then yeah, go ahead and delay Falcon and Winter Soldier until after Black Widow is in theaters. But I don't really think, and obviously we can't know, but I don't really think that's the case. So I think it should be okay, presuming they can finish the series in time, that we can start watching Falcon and Winter Soldier and maybe watch the entire series if it's all done in time, watch that before we see Black Widow in theaters. But we still don't know where any of that stands as far as their ability to finish these productions on time because nothing's really moving forward as far as people actually getting back to set and finishing these things. Presumably, they're doing post-production as much as they can on the things that they've already shot. They're doing as much of that remotely as they can. So obviously, a lot of this is contingent upon when they can actually finish this stuff. But if they can finish it on time or close to on time based on the scheduling that we've been told about, then I think they should try to stick with that schedule unless, as I said, there's going to be some major spoiler for Black Widow and Falcon Winter Soldier. But I don't really think that's going to be the case. I think, like you said, Paul, even if they plant the seeds for Thunderbolts and Black Widow, if we see that a little out of order, I don't really know that it's going to be a major spoiler. I don't really know that it would be something that would significantly alter our perception of these things. If anything, if we've already seen some Thunderbolts seeds being planted in Falcon Winter Soldier and we see more of them in Black Widow, then it just makes it, it's just more of a thing to geek out over because it's a continuation of something in Black Widow after we've already been exposed to some of it in Falcon and Winter Soldier. So hopefully Falcon and Winter Soldier will be done on time and we can actually see it or close to on time in, in August or September because if we've got six Fridays in a row of Falcon and Winter Soldier, that will definitely ease the wait uh, between now and November 6th to catch Black Widow. Now, before we get out of here, I want to say thank you to uh, a couple of folks who recently joined our Patreon. So thank you to Adam. Also, thank you to FanGeek22. You've heard me mention the Patreon a couple times on this episode, and I know you've heard me say it several times on other episodes. So we have exclusive audio content that's not available anywhere else. That includes Patreon credit scenes where we discuss, in a, we discuss an additional topic on top of these main episodes. So for this week, we're going to talk about another movie that did not get a release date when Disney was handing out a bunch of release dates last week. New Mutants in that game of musical chairs did not end up with a seat. Uh, it still does not have a release date after being postponed. So we'll talk about that movie a little bit. But we have all kinds of other exclusive shows on the Patreon. We also have a Patreon-exclusive Discord where we've been doing a lot of watch parties lately. Uh, just the night before this recording, we did a watch party for Captain America Civil War, which is a lot of fun. We have more of those coming up. So for more information on all of the different exclusives that we have, please visit patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. And then make sure you keep up with us in all the places that you can, marvelstudiosnews.com, Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News. Make sure you're following the Instagram. I'm doing live Q&As every week there, as well as uh, tuning in during those watch parties live on Instagram. And then you can also follow us on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. Paul, where can everybody find you? Find me on Twitter at Herman22 at two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 